0: Well, this afternoon, uh, we're going to be continuing in our walk through the book of Hebrews. Our focus today is going to be on verse 17 of chapter 13. As we'll be uh, looking at this principle, it's actually we're going to be in this this verse in particular for two weeks. uh, Because as I prepared, there's two really main different ideas in here that really need to be fleshed out. And, of course, you know me and my words. Uh, so let's hear from Hebrews chapter 13, just for the sake of hearing what it says. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have an ent- entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also Are in the body let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let us pray. Our Father, we approach your word, which we have just heard. Help us that we might receive your word as your voice, accepting the truth that you have spoken. We ask, O Lord, that you would work in each of us, conform us to the image of your Son, strengthening our faith, increasing our faith. We ask that you would do the work in each of us that we need, that needs to be done. Help us to understand our great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, to believe, upon, understand that more and more, that he is that for us, that we might believe upon him. We ask that you guide the preacher, keep him true to the text, chaining him to it, so that he might freely declare the truth that is your word. Help him to be clear. Help him to be understandable. Help him to be accurate. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As mentioned earlier, our focus today and next week is going to be on verse seventeen of Hebrews chapter 13. It opens up with a word that we don't like. The word is obey. It says oh, that we I don't not that we don't like it, but we often struggle with the word. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. As we've looked at Christ who is the greater than and looking at uh, what it is to grow in this one who is the greater than. Holding on to him. that is, pers- uh, This growth is essentially pursuing the righteousness, the holiness By which we stand before God. A holiness that is already ours. To pursue that holiness. Expressed in many different forms. Brotherly love. Showing hospitality to strangers. Being in solidarity with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Honoring marriage. Keeping our life free from the love of money. Knowing that God is with us in Christ. Remembering those who have come before us and have been in our life, speaking the gospel to us, those leaders remembering the teaching and remembering Christ, remembering that the altar from which we eat is superior to any other thing that might be offered, having gone outside the camp where Christ has been cast out and we are united to him and having learned earlier a few verses earlier when it said remember your leaders when we looked at that that's verse 7 when we look at this idea of remembering your leaders it's speaking of them in the past tense of what they did as the past tense which is most is most logically understood as those who in the past had taught them the truth of Christ and ministered the truth to them maybe even been the agent by which god uh, brought the gospel to them and to faith in Jesus Christ, and most likely are no longer there with them. Maybe having experienced, maybe having been pers- uh, experienced persecution and having been uh, jailed or even worse uh, for their faith. And remembering the outcome of their life, of their faith, trusting Christ and what it did, the endurance that was there. Now we have another speaking of leaders in verse 17. And here he he speaks now in the present tense of their current leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's several different ideas that are here. There's two two there's three main commands here. Obey submit and let them obey submit and let them that is to obey whatever these leaders are to obey them and to submit to them which one which go hand in hand and to let them do it with joy and not with groaning that is to make their jobs easy for them to not be those who cause troubles for them we're going to talk a lot next time about obedience and submission and what that looks like in the context of these leaders. But if we're going to talk about obedience and submission to, a, to people who are called leaders, we want to talk more about the who and the why regarding those leaders today. Who are these leaders? When we see this word obey and submit... First of all, as a preface before we, I'm not going to get too much into that this week, but what these leaders, whatever it is and what they lead, we are to submit to them and obey their instruction, inasmuch as their instruction is as true, fitting and according to the word and according to a body of, uh, and we'll see a body of believers having covenanted together. We will see also the language that is here that this is a very important thing in in our lives because these leaders keep watch over our souls. These leaders keep watch over our souls and they are accountable for it. Accountable to God, those leaders are. So whatever it is that the whoever these leaders are, they have a very important thing that is to be in, taken extremely with extreme care and seriousness. And we'll also see next time that rebellion and dissension are of no benefit to us and of no advantage. So first of all, who are these leaders? Are we referring to civil leaders, to leaders? Civil uh, to societal authorities, such as mayors or city city council or, or, or county uh, commissioners or governors or presidents or judges or representatives or senators, while indeed we have commands to submit to human authorities uh, such as in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter 2, giving very broad instruction to submit to civil authorities. You read Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, it is very broad. And how we need to obey and submit. However, I must. we must ask, is the, is the mayor or city council of Oak Harbor tasked with keeping, keeping watch over our souls? Is the, is the office of the President of the United States tasked with keeping watch over the souls of people? No. That is not the task of civil authorities. In fact, Romans 13 tells us what they have. They have a sword. The civil authority is God's deacon of justice. That he uses to work with providence. That's not the job of magistrates. I must ask, do you want the, do you want, it doesn't matter who's sitting in it. I'm not speaking of any particular resident of the office, but is, do you want the person, whoever it may be, who's sitting in the office of the president or your governor or your mayor or others to be the ones keeping watch over your soul? No, I do not. I don't care who's sitting in it. I don't, we don't want that. God, in his common grace and his providence, has placed human authorities there for the purpose of keeping societies and keeping humanity from descending into a complete type of chaos. They are not tasked with redemption at all. They are not tasked with enforcing the worship of God. What about employers? Just thinking of other leaders to whom we're called to submit. In Ephesians 4 and 5, we're told um, slaves are said submit to your masters and and masters are told to treat their slaves as humans. Of course, slavery and uh, the Greco-Roman time was not exactly this; is wasn't uh, the same as the slavery that we um, are think of in terms of our own country's history. But the most uh, common way of looking at that today would be looking at those for whom we work. Are employ- is your employer tasked with watching over your soul. No. They, like civil authorities, have a, have a, have a role that, uh, is co- that is what we, in our two kingdom series we learned, would fall under the category of the common kingdom. a thing that believer and uh, the, the a- aspect of life that believers and unbelievers share in common together. The world in which we live. Human societies. As we're referring to parents here. We're commanded to honor our mother and father. Remember, family is not unique to Christianity. Family is a common kingdom uh, reality. Marriage and family is not just Christian. Now, we Christians have specific things God has commanded us in how we understand marriage. But Buddhists get married, and they have children, and they have families. So do Hindus, and so do Muslims, and so do Jews, and all sorts of others. So do atheists. It's a creation ordinance. Again, this is, has to do with watching over souls. Now, Christian parents have a unique, a unique uh, role in the life of their children in which they are seeking to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. A Christian family, there's no such thing as a Christian or a Christian family without the church of Jesus Christ. Because anyone who's come to Christ is brought into the church. And, plus, and and also, without going any further into such things, he had already mentioned remembering leaders who had spoken to us the word of God and the truth of God. So we're speaking of the same type of leaders that we saw earlier in verse 7. Those who spoke to them the word of god when we look at the overall new and we look at the new testament and we'll talk about these in just a little bit but both timothy and titus were tasked by the apostle paul with identifying and appointing a group of men who would function in a certain way in the life of those churches and those men Whom they were appointed to identify and appoint and bring before the body to become elders. They were elders and I put it uh, to, to elders, elders in the church. Elders, pastors, bishops, elder is and we'll see in a moment. Elder is the office, pastor is a function and bishop is a function. And different elders do those in different capacities, as we'll we'll talk about um, in a little bit. But that is whom God has appointed to watch over our souls. Elders in our church are tasked with being the under shepherds of the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, of watching over our souls of watching over our spiritual health we'll talk more about that in just a moment because sometimes we might, we might think but I'm gonna, don't I watch over my own soul we'll talk about that in just a little bit some of us our sense of independence and self-reliance may be, sque- may be squirming at that language Of other people watching over our souls. I know it does for me. And I'm an elder. But what what, what constitutes these leaders, these elders? In the book of 1 Timothy and the book of Titus, we have a description of what is expected of an elder. In terms of qualifications and in terms of, and it's not just, okay, they met the qualifications, so uh, they're good to go. But those are continued qualifications, expectations um, of an elder. And turning to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, we can see various different types of qualifications The saying is trustworthy, if anyone desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife or one woman man, is the way it reads. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. is the word episkopos. Now, is there, is there an English word that sounds like that? Maybe you've heard of a denomination called the Episcopalian denomination or the Episcopalian form of government. That's what the Roman Catholics, uh, the Episcopalians, Anglicans, the Orthodox, the, Greek, the Eastern Orthodox, as well as, the, um, to a lesser extent, the, the Methodist groups have. In which they have a what's called a bishop who they call the episcopos who over, who's kind of a oversees a whole bunch of churches in a jurisdiction. Now that's one common view on that that that's distinct from elder or maybe the episcopos is a super elder of sorts. In reality when we turn to the book of Titus we can see the qualifications for elders This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. This is verse 5. In every town, as I directed you, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is one woman, man, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. So, here he says, the first word that he uses is presbyteros. So being Reformed Baptist, that word should sound familiar to us. Press be something. Presbyterian. So the, that, that's what we get translated. as elder. So the Presbyterians have a certain form of government based around the office of elder in which uh, a church has a body of elders and uh, the reformed denominations, such as the one in which we meet has a very similar structure with some slight different changes. one and whereas we also look at that there's a body of there's a body at least ideally of elders who oversee the life of the church and the spiritual care of the church. The difference of course with the presbyterian polity is that all the elders of all the presbyterian churches in a particular region or designated area form an overseeing body of all the churches in the region. And any new pastors or new elders who are appointed have to come with the approval of that body of all the elders of all the churches. So, um, whereas, and we'll, we're not going to get too much into differences in church government, but just where you see the terms. But also notice, in which he says, "If uh, to appoint elders... And then in verse 7, for an episkopos must be. So here he equates elder with bishop. Elder and bishop are the same thing. My previous church in Dallas where I pastored, uh, there was a man in in our church who uh, did a lot of planning and preparation. Um, He didn't hold office. He referred to himself as a subdeacon. But I'd walk in and he'd say, Bishop Mark. And I always kind of struggled with that. Uh, never been one for, for titles too much. But what he was doing is communicating the idea of what an elder is. Elder, bishop, or pastor. He'd also say that to the other pastor as well. Call him Bishop Jeff. So we also see in 1 Peter chapter 5, in which instructions are given to the elders for how they are to carry out Their role, he uses three different terms. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not as under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So there he uses the word elder, presbyteros. Then he says to exercise oversight, which shares the same root as episkopos. It's just in verb form. And then he says, shepherd the flock of God. That is from where we get the term pastor. Is the idea of shepherding. And there, in the, in, in the one particular role in the life of the church, he puts elder, he puts pastoring, and he puts Oversight. So pastor, elder is pastor is bishop. Bishop is elder is pastor, put in all the different orders. Pastor is a function, overseen is a function, elder is the basic office. And as we mentioned, different elders carry uh, different elders function in different ways in those, but all elders in different ways do all those things in different ways so first of all we see look at their role this is who they are they watch over our souls what is it to watch over our souls i I used the word earlier if they are to shepherd the flock of god who do we know in the scripture who is the chief shepherd our lord jesus christ We'll often say that, yeah, Jesus is the, is the chief shepherd of, of, of the universal church. Then we think, and then our pastor is the chief shepherd of our church. I said, please don't ever call any elder in Redeeming Grace Church a chief shepherd of this church. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of every true gospel church. Pastors, elders, bishops are under shepherds. Our job is to point people to the one who is the chief shepherd. To look to him, to trust him, and to live in thankfulness to him. In the different ways in which we do that. But take note of the word overseer of our souls. Hinted at this, who is tasked with overseeing my soul and your soul? these leaders who is it that god has given to equip uh, ephesians four eleven through 14 to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body of christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Who is it that is tasked with that? Uh, earlier in there, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says God has given gifts to his church. Verse 10, of Ephesians 4, He who descended is the one who also ascended, Far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the sh- and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. And we already heard that part. So he gave the apostles and prophets in Ephesians 2 earlier. We went through Ephesians a couple of few years ago. Uh, we learned that those are spoken of in foundational terms. The foundation has occurred. Apostles and prophets are no, longer in, are no longer a functional office in the church in terms of there being apostle such and such, or prophet such and such. But yet the ministry of the apostles and prophets continues through what we have here in the scriptures. This is the apostles and prophets right here. And the declaration of God's word is declaring apostolic truth And prophetic truth. We also have the evangelists. Which most seems to. These are speaking of people who have. Had specific functions. These are those who have been commissioned. And sent as missionaries. In different contexts. Everyone is responsible. To do evangelism. Not everyone is in this sense. An evangelist. Then we also have the next one and the way it's structured in the Greek puts these two together shepherds and teachers. And so for the sake of the body of Christ for the purpose of doing this he has given the apostles and prophets the declaration here he is giving the evangelists for the advancement of the church of Jesus Christ in the truth and he has given shepherds and over, shepherds and teachers who whose function, all that together, equips the saints for the work of the ministry, builds up the body of Christ until the attainment of the unity of faith and to, to mature manhood until the day when Christ returns to where we are steady and solid. God has given the pastors and teachers, the shepherds and teachers, as an office to do that. So that is the elders... Of the church. That is. We need. The ministry. Of the elders. Of the church. We cannot be. Our own watch care people. We it is impossible. For us in and of by ourselves. To be the overseers of our souls. We are responsible to. Carry out due diligence. But we are blind when it comes to ourselves. We are blind when it comes to ourselves. Just ask any outside observer. Someone who might know you well. Say, uh, tell me about myself. And they'll tell you all sorts of things. You're like, really? Really? We need, we must have Those whom God has placed in his providence. Who are faithful men. To the word to be the overseers of our souls. Through the ministry of the word. Both in public and in private. Again not every elder does public uh, ministry of the word. But every elder does ministry of the word in different ways. Every elder is engaged in the care of God's flock. Of exhorting. Of watching. Listen to Acts chapter 20 in which Paul, when he was departing the church at Ephesus and they had a long meeting and it was a very, by all, a, 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 bio, a Appearance is a tearful meeting because Paul had been there for a while and they'd grown together. And he's giving his exhortations to the elders. And he says in Acts chapter 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is the ministry of elders to care for the church of Jesus Christ. We need the ministry of pastors, and I say we because, as do I, as do I. It's one reason why, even though we believe in the independence and autonomy of uh, a local church, we also believe in—here's uh, an older term—associational churchmanship. As we associate with other like-minded churches that we can have accountability with one another, that we can have uh, elders can poke one another, so to speak. In a highly individualistic world in which we live by, I believe it was Frank Sinatra's song, I Do It My Way, it's very hard to think this way. In a highly individualistic world in which we think is our own personal Burger King, which is have it your way, we have a hard time with this. Because I don't need anybody. That's what we want to say. I don't need anyone. I just got Jesus. That's enough. I got me my Bible. You know, my Texan's coming out here. we want to be our own watchmen I include you ladies just watchmen is a term so we want to be our own means of growth in our own private piety not that we should but that is a natural impulse we want to hide we want to just kind of i can do it myself I found I found it entertaining and you've heard this before at a fire meeting. One of the pastors from Idaho, who's now retired, gave his uh, story at at a regional meeting, gave his story of uh, testimony of how the church had been doing that year and all the various different uh, needs and uh, well as praises. And one of the things he mentioned about the ministry, both in the church and in the community, he said, while well, we're Reformed and we believe in the five Solas, the Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, uh, soli Dei Gloria, um, and uh, Sola Scriptura. Whereas we believe in those. He said, we struggle in our community, and our church, with another Sola. He says, with Sola Bootstrappa. That just me and my own bootstraps going to pick myself up. We're going to pick ourselves up by them. And some might say, isn't this like Roman Catholicism? That's a, and John Calvin, in his own commentary on this, brought this up. Is this not a text supporting the Roman Catholic priesthood? That they're the ones who watch over the souls? And he said, of course not. Because the Roman Catholic priesthood is not fundamentally oversight. Roman Catholic pre- oversight and watch care, the Roman Catholic priesthood is in the word priest. What is a priest? A priest is a go between. People, in order to go to God in Christ, must go through the priest. When we participate in communion and we eat of the bread and drink the drink of the cup. The bread is just the bread and the cup is just the cup. But to our faith by the work of the spirit, it is more than that because Christ is present to our faith because of the spirit. Roman Catholicism, the priest has to do some things in order to make it that. To transform the bread and the wine, because the priest is a go-between. Even while private prayer is allowed, it's used. It's almost always through a saint, uh, one they would call a saint, or through Mary. See, this is not the same as Roman Catholicism because we recognize the priesthood of believers that each believer has union with Christ and has access to God for the purpose of being a priest unto his or her neighbor, an intercessor, one who intercedes on behalf of his or her neighbor. But one thing we are not is we are not our own priests. We are not our own priests. We need one another. That's why changing priesthood of believers to priesthood of the believer miscommunicates the idea. This does not mean that the elders are Christ to the people. That's what the priesthood does. They are Christ to the people. The Pope is Christ's spokesman on earth in Roman Catholicism. He is Christ on earth. That is not a claim we make as elders. Rather, we speak of Christ and minister the truth of Christ. To God's people. The elder ministers the gospel in word and in sacrament. So as to point people to Christ. The elder declares the law of God both as a means to keep us looking to Christ as well as calling us to obedience in Christ in the different ways that different elders minister. Why can't I do this for myself? Why can't I do it privately without the need of pastors or elders or a church? Well, God called a people to himself. He called a people to himself. When we are united to Christ, we are united to Christ with all of those whom God has united to Christ. Thus, we have been united together. We look at Hebrews chapter 10, in which he states, in which he gives different exhortations to draw near. And he gives exhortations to, to, to hold on, to draw near, um, and, uh, and to walk in full assurance, and to consider how to draw uh to stir up one another to love and good works but then there's an ing afterward all the, after all that not neglecting to assemble together as is the habit of some Hebrews chapter 10 in fact just for clarity we can we're going to hear that Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and following And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, But encouraging one another and all the more as you say that see the day drawing near. neglect We neglect to meet together to our own peril. But we need the ministry of the church and the officers whom God has placed in his church. The elders are not the church. Again roman catholicism the priesthood is the church when they say salvation does not come uh, salvation there's no salvation without the church they don't mean the entire community of god's people they mean the priesthood and its structure this is different from a roman catholicism but god nor, nor so we see also from that god has not designed it for it to be just me and jesus there was a time when mankind walked in the garden alone with god literally and god said two words about that he said not good and he created eve man is not designed to be alone Mankind is not designed to be alone. We need the ministry of the word from those whom God has placed into the life of the church. We might say, but isn't this authority uh, too broad? We must remember spheres. The spheres in which, or we might say lanes. You ever heard the phrase, stay in your lane? There were sometimes people will come to me with questions about things. With questions to me about um, whether or not they should um, take a certain medicine, for instance. Say, that is outside of my lane. That's not my lane. The Bible doesn't really tell me anything about whether you should take that medicine or not. But there is common grace. And I point them to common grace, that God has given common grace by which he keeps the world going. And he's given bakers, his common grace, for instance, to provide bread for people. People to buy or to get in different ways legally. Where does an elder's authority begin and where does an elder's authority end? An elder's authority begins and ends with the apostles and the prophets. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament. That is where the elder's instruction, in which that elder can say, Thus saith the Lord, begins and ends. Begins and ends with the scriptures. So any elder who tries to bind our consciences to what color socks we should wear is stepping outside of his authority. That's an extreme and absurd example. Remember when we studied the living in God's two kingdoms. I believe it is outside of the sphere of an elder to dictate to families The only way that they can educate their children. This is outside the sphere of the elder. There's wisdom and guidance that can be given. But consciences cannot be bound. Or. Whether or not we should be an engineer or whether or not we should be a realtor or whether or not we should be uh, be a banker I do not know what makes a good engineer. I studied engineering in college, but that was over twenty years ago. Thirty years ago, I'm old. I <laughs> was over thirty years ago. But I can give. But I. But an elder can give guidance and wisdom and give of prudence in which to pursue. We must remember that a pastor or an elder in the life of the church is just that. Pastor or elder is not, unless they, unless they do so, unless they have the credentials and are practicing in that way, are not physicians, medical doctors. They're not sociolo- sociologists. Not even necessarily broad historians, though they're probably very well versed in church history may be well-versed in church history, nor even political scientists. Pastors have a role of spiritual authority. A pastor exceeds his authority when he seeks to bind, his, bind our consciences in those things in which we have freedom, which we have liberty we can bind consciences to say, don't use your liberty to cause a brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, Romans 14 as well. Elders serve as a service of God to his people. Part of what I like to call the divine service. Our gathering together is the divine service. We're coming together, we're worshiping God In that worship, God is actually serving us. He's serving us Christ. He's serving us his truth, growing us, strengthening us. One of the ways he does that when we gather is through the ministry of elders and also in other ways in which elders might minister. And counseling. In various different ways. Through what through what means do elders exercise oversight? This kind of oversight. First of all, there's the word. Everything stems from the word, the word of God, which points us to the one who's the living word that is Christ. First Timothy four verses one and two. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach. The Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, reprove rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The ministry of the Word. Everything flows from the ministry of the Word, from the Word as well as we're going to see prayer. There's also... Baptism and the Lord's Supper, what we call the ministry of the sacraments. But these, unlike some other various different ways of approaching, don't have their don't have don't derive their meaning or their benefit in and of themselves. Baptism and the Lord's Supper derive their meaning and their benefit from the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. From the Word. They're forms of ministry of the word another aspect of the ministry of the elder and oversight of the elder again through the ministry of the word is both public and private before we go on it is the what i'm doing right now is the public declaration of the word of god among god's people there's also private declaration of god's word sit down with someone and talk with them about various different things it's a it's a private ministry of the word Recommending books that meet needs is a form of ministry of the word. All sorts of different, different ways. And also part of the ministry of the word is being alert and aware to things that are happening. I've always found it odd. In which someone might say, I go to such and such church and such and such is my pastor. I've never met him, but he's my pastor. That's always a head-scratcher for me. There's also prayer. The ministry of prayer. This is an unseen thing. I mean, there's obviously public prayer, which we do as part of the service. But this is also an unseen thing. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. To serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This was the appointing of what we would call the first deacons. And the issue was is that. Um, <coughs> When it came to this church, which was probably was mostly Jewish, composed of Hebrew-speaking Jews or Aramaic-speaking Jews, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, who were probably Greek-speaking Jews, who were Greek-speaking Jews, there were a lot of Jews who, uh, because of the background of conquest by the Greeks, lost connection with their language. That's where the whole Septuagint came about, and so g- Greek was their language, and the Hellenists it appears that when it comes to the distribution of bread, which appeared to be a weekly thing, that they would distribute bread to the poor and the widows in the church, that the Greek-speaking Jews were kind of getting the short end of the stick in some way or another. They were being neglected. And there arose a dispute. And the elders said, yeah, our our ministry, the apostles were the first elders, that our ministry is the word of God and prayer Let's point men who will handle this, for whom that can be their lane. These are what we call means of grace. means by which God ministers to us is grace for our growth. The ministry of the word, the preaching of the word, publicly here when we gather, privately and when it is ministered. Through the Lord's Supper, through baptism, God ministers his grace to us. Again, because of the word that is behind them. And in prayer. Again, there's prayer for one another. There's public prayer. One of the things that elders do is they pray for those under their charge. There are times when things come across their path. That deeply concern elders, it may even keep them awake at night. They take it to the Lord in prayer, praying for those in their midst. These are means of grace. There's also other aspects of oversight, overseeing the government and the day to day and the affairs of the church. Um, the deacons uh, work, with the, work, work uh, under the oversight of the elders, uh, but a good elder, also a good leader, also lets the folks under his care work according to their gifts and their, their best things, um, and um, <clears throat> not trying to meddle, in my opinion, not trying to meddle in everything. Various different processes and procedures for the continuance of the church. Should always take wisdom from, but a good elder, uh, a a proper elder will know their limits and take wisdom from, wisdom from those who might know better on many things. Eldership should also, as much as there is provision for it, be plural. That is, the men to occupy the post. Leaders. He says, obey your leaders. He's also, at the end of the book, he talks about visiting them. Speaking probably of a specific group of believers. Obey your leaders, plural. He tells Titus and Timothy, elders, plural. Overseers, plural. Because elders need one another as well. So we obey and submit because of these things. We need someone to watch over our souls. We need to submit to the godly instruction of those whom God has placed in his providence to the role of elders. We must recognize that elders are also human. And elders must recognize themselves as human. Recognize that no elder should say of himself, I am a good elder. No man should say of himself, I am a good man. That is for others to state. An elder should always say, help me be a good elder, my Lord and my God. Because we fail and we make mistakes. But a wise and good elder will take ownership of those mistakes Anyone, anyone in leadership, in anything, but especially in the church who says, if it weren't for the people that I hired, this would be great. That's called passing the buck. It takes ownership and responsibility for that. God has given us elders for our good. Calvin said, With regard to that, but to to pass by a description of them, this only will I say at present, that when we are bidden to obey our pastors, we ought carefully and wisely to find out those who are true and faithful rulers, those who are true to the word, those who are faithful. Another job of elders is identifying new elders. How are elders and pastors and bishops called? Well, There's different types of calling. There's the internal calling. Notice Timothy, if anyone desires to be an overseer, that's what we call an internal calling. Someone has a sense of, I think this is what I need to do. There's also an external calling in which someone says, yeah, you should do this. Usually another elder or someone occupying it. Or sometimes as those like Augustine, who didn't have an internal calling, he just had his, the bishop, the elder, say, so you're taking over for me when I'm gone. And Augustine said, what? And he did. He, all he received was an external call. And then there is the providential call. That is, in which God actually makes, puts someone in, a, in that position. All three of those together is what calls an elder. Paul tasked Timothy and Titus with instructions. Titus with a younger church. Timothy with uh, uh, Timothy continuing labor in a more well-established church. But he tasked them with appointing elders. Finding, identifying, and appointing elders. Those who meet the qualifications. In an established church, one of the things to do is to identify those already doing the work of an elder that is one thing that i'm always looking out for right now being a sole elder at the moment always looking out for when you get the agenda assuming you look it over you're going to see something on there there's one person of whom many people have asked in our church why is he not an elder a number of people have come to me and asked that why is he not an elder it's someone who has been providing spiritual mem- mentorship to people, who, without me even asking, recommends books and teachings to others, even recommends books to me. I'm like, yeah, these are great for the church. At his own initiative, it's someone who's a seasoned believer, a man who's of character, a one woman man, of good repute in the community. It so happens he hasn't been here for a couple of weeks, but he's here with us this week. So you'll see in your agenda that this uh, uh, coming the annual business meeting, we have a line for affirming Gary Morse as an elder. So it just so happens that I didn't arrange it this way, but it so happens that our this passage fell right on two weeks before the annual business meeting. I thought we would make that known here. And so, if you have any questions about that, again, as mentioned in the announcements, please bring them forward. There are no qualifications that say one has to have a master's degree from an accredited seminary to be an elder. One must be able to teach, and Titus defines that. Titus defines that in terms of one who knows truth and corrects error and affirms, and, and affirms truth. That's what it is to be able to teach. In fact, I would argue, and just in an interesting note, if we're going to say that one must have gone to seminary, not a single English Baptist pastor from about, ever since English Baptist kind of became a thing, up until the mid-19th century would have been qualified to be an elder because they were not allowed to go to seminary because they were not part of the Church of England. And for about 100 years, they weren't even allowed to worship together. they weren't allowed to go to college, so they couldn't go to seminary. And We remember the sphere of authority which an elder ex- uh, executes, and every elder at some point in time will probably, I believe I have, will step outside of that. We need to learn and not do that. But elders have a specific sphere, and we must not try to step out of that. One of my models of this is an early 20th century pastor named J. Gresham Machen. J. Gresham Machen, there was a big controversy in uh, the teens and 20s of the 19th century regarding something called prohibition and the making of prohibition. His denomination, the Presbyterian Church of the U.S. at the time, was voting on whether or not to put forward a position paper supporting or going against prohibition. And J. Gresham Machen opposed a position paper, period, on that. Not because he was for or he was against it. And the denomination ultimately ended up putting forward a, a, a position paper in favor it, in favor of it. Regardless of what one thinks about prohibition or not, What J. Gresham Machen said is I voted against it because of the fact that that is not the sphere of the elders of the Presbyterian Church. In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith says explicitly, which is their confession, that a synod, the assembly of the elders, is not to to dictate this policy and not that policy when it comes to public policy doesn't mean they can't speak to moral issues. On, on another occasion, he testified before Congress on a thing on which he personally was opposed. It had to do with forming a new department. And he was asked to testify before Congress. And they said, now, Reverend Machin," and he stopped the person in his tracks. And he said, I am today not Reverend Machin." Because I'm not speaking as, a, as, as, a, as an elder in the Presbyterian church. I'm not speaking on behalf of the church. I'm speaking simply as a citizen. So call me Mr. Machen or Dr. Machen. Because you did not believe the church had the authority, uh, the sphere, to be able to say the government cannot have this department or it should have this department. Only an elder. Uh, Furthermore, an elder, the ministry of the elder is spiritual in nature and revolves around pointing to Christ, not to himself. And an elder is only an elder in the church to which he has been called. Pastor of Redeeming Grace Church or an elder of Redeeming Grace Church is not... A pastor of the universal church or the invisible church, which frankly, I've never seen one of these invisible churches. A pastor is not pastor of every church and every Christian. Call to a specific body of believers. In fact, I remember there being a discussion one time about Pastors or elders who were um, doing things very poorly, and one was asked, "Shouldn't the universal, shouldn't pastors in the universal church have to say something to say about that?" And a friend of mine aptly replied, "He said, only Jesus is the pastor of that church. There's no such thing either as America's pastor or country's pastor." uh, Christ alone is the elder of the universal church. Countries and communities don't have pastors. They have civil authorities. Only the church is given the ministry of grace and reconciliation to God. And their leaders are tasked with keeping faithful to that. The church is the nation of God. The church is the Christian nation. So brothers and sisters, in closing, you can see why we did this in two messages now, right? God has given these gifts to us. So one of these gifts he's given to us is men who are to be faithful to the word. Now, there are those who occupy the office and shouldn't be occupying it simply because, you know. Because they are unfaithful to the word or they're not qualified. This is regarding those who are qualified and equipped and should be occupying the office. God has given men to function in this way. To serve God's people. To watch over us. We must, inasmuch much as what they declare is true, submit to their instruction. Consider their guidance. And we're going to see next time specifically what that means and why it would not be to our benefit to rebel and to be dissentious and everything like that. Remembering that these men are not shepherds, rather under-shepherds who at the same time are sheep themselves needing under-shepherds. So, people of God, let us give thanks to God for the fact that he gives us men to do this. And pray that those who are doing it, even here in our own church, would do so faithfully and truly and rightly. Because our spiritual lives Because it is necessary and important to our spiritual lives. Let us pray. Father, blessed be your most holy name. And we thank you that our chief shepherd has died for us and risen for us and is returning to us. And we pray that you will continue to raise up elders, pastors, bishops in your churches. Who will declare your truth. Who will minister Your truth. And help us, O Lord, to submit and obey that they might do so with joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.